We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Verses 14 and 15 are going to be my main verses. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And just so I don't forget, there is, if you want, homework for today accompanying the message. But I think it's good homework. So it's a sheet here called Praying Through Fatherhood. And I put it at the back at the Welcome Center so you can remember to grab that on your way out. And also just another little plug. Um, as I was working on this message, I felt like there was becoming too much material for a Sunday morning. So I took a big chunk of this message and I put it on the midweeks, which are a... Thanks, Jeremy, for that thumbs up. When Jeremy sums something up, it is cool. It's, it's pretty cool. So um, <clears throat> I have this thing on our Calvary website, the calvarywebsite.com, where I put some little thoughts or blurbs, stuff on Proverbs a few times a week. And so I decided to take a chunk of this message and just put it on there for your enjoyment. And it turned out to be 17 minutes long. So this message is actually 17 minutes shorter than it could have been. And you can thank me now. But I want to encourage you to go check that out um, just as to add on to this and just to see part of the point that I'm going to make in a little bit. So with those things added on here, why don't I pray and then we'll go from there. Father, we're just really grateful for today. Uh, Father, thank you for a roof over our heads. Thank you for um, everything here, Lord, for the folks that worship in the city. We pray that you just be with them. Would you uh, dry things out for them and bless them, give them a great time together. And Father, I pray that you'd really reveal yourself to us. You know that uh, fatherhood is a huge issue for every single human being. And it's inescapable. And you know that many of us here um, carry around blessings as well as uh, stumblings from our experience of fatherhood. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take us into yourself for your glory and for our healing and joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was born just shy of 37 years ago, which means that I was fathered well more than 37 years ago. That's how it works, and I won't go into the details because I'm saving some uncomfortable details for later just in case I need them. So I only want to gross everybody else, everybody out once in a morning, and I'm being very strategic about the timing of this. Um, I was spending some time being grateful for my dad with the Lord this week, which is going to be part of this worksheet if you choose to use it. And some of the things I'm grateful for are um, my dad's graciousness while I was crashing his cars in my late teens. Um, Notice the plurality of all of that, crashing his cars, plural. Um, I decided, no, I didn't decide, but it turned out that I, I get, got most of my car wrecks and car crashes out of the way early on in my driving career, which is how it works, which is why they invented things like staggered licenses and no driving with people in the vehicle, especially girlfriends, I hope that's in law, for your first few years of driving. And um, 
And that lasted me for like 18 years. So get it all done in the first couple of years, minor fender benders and other things, and then go 18 years until you smash up someone's Jaguar on the highway down to Fargo. That's the way to do it. Anyhow, he was really gracious with me. And I remember the third time it was that I bashed up his much newer car. And uh, I came and told him about it. And it was the middle of the night. Okay, So I don't know what you're like, but when, whenever I'm woken up by a kid, it's already a spiritual struggle. Okay, It's already 40 days in the desert. And um, the enemy's right there. And uh, I woke him up and I said, Dad, I've, I've crashed the car again. And all he said was, maybe I shouldn't let you drive my cars anymore. <laughs> That's all he said. And then by the next day, he'd forgotten about it. And I, looking back, I was like, that actually really was really gracious of him. And so I'm grateful. I was grateful for um, just experiences of getting to try to do grown-up stuff, stuff as a kid. Um, I remember this one party when we were living in Whistler when um, my, my parents would have lots of people over, and I asked for a sip of my dad's wine, and he let me have it, which was just my mistake to ask in the first place because of the flavor. But it's like, man, it's cool to try to do grown-up stuff. Uh, my family had a cabin that is in kind of the center of BC um, at Canham Lake near 100 Mile House, if that means anything to you. And it's quite out in the, the BC's version of the Struk, which is like Manitoba's version of the Struk, but you don't quite have that same feeling that if you ran into the wrong kind of farmer, they would never hear you scream and never find the body. You know what I mean like that? Like when you take a wrong turn, when you're like one mile off a highway, you take a wrong turn and you're just like dueling banjos time. And you're, you're kind of worried, but it's, it's a little bit different up there. And, um, but anyhow, one of the favorite parts of the trip to Grandma and Grandpa's cabin was that um, for the last kilometer or two, Dad would let kids drive the, the Jeep on his lap. And it, these were not straight roads, and they had more potholes than not potholes. And so it was a bit of a wild ride, but uh, that was just one of the fun parts, just trying to get this thing back out of the, the brush onto the road again. Um, and I was always, I'm, I was grateful for that day up at that cabin when Dad let me take his little fishing boat out for a solo trip. Not out fishing, but just tooling around in front of the house. I'm sure my mom did not fall asleep for the next three days as the adrenaline was emptying out of her body. But, um, you know, just those little things where Dad let you be older and encourage you to be older, I'm grateful for. Um, dads are important and your your experience of fatherhood has impacted you and does impact you it's inescapable and it's inescapable because it's the way God has made the world Ephesians three fourteen and 15 say this it's the apostle Paul he writes for this reason I bow my knees before the father God the father God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is my text. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And this is one of these verses that really gets my questioner questioning. Because I think, why did he write that? Before we start answering questions, I just want to take us a little bit into the Greek here. I, I, 
don't let me throw you off. You will be smarter in Greek in one minute than you were a second ago. Okay, in Greek, the word for father is pater. Okay, everybody say pater. Okay, well done. You've just learned your first Greek word if you didn't know any other Greek words. And the word for family or clan or country is patria. Everybody say patria. Okay, and these words are connected. Pater, patria. Okay, they're, they're connected. Kind of like our word father and fatherhood. We add the word hood on the end and we know that it's something about having a father. And Paul is using those two Greek words to say something about how God has made the world. The pater has done something so that every patria gets its name from the pater. And I've been thinking about this, and, and this isn't just a funny little word play. Okay, It's not just a pun. I like puns. And sometimes in moments of weakness, I let them enter into my sermons. But usually I resist... It's not just a pun, because Paul knew many different languages. He knew Hebrew, he knew Aramaic, he knew Greek, and he probably knew quite a bit of Latin because he was a Roman citizen. And that kind of wordplay, pater, patria, doesn't work in every single language, like in English, where when they translate that, they say every family derives its name from the father. It doesn't work, right? It's a good translation because patria means family, but it doesn't, the word play doesn't carry through, right? When you hear the word family, you don't think, oh, the word father's somehow tied up in there. It's not, it does not, doesn't work the same way. And it wouldn't work in Hebrew as well to go Abba, Abibaba. There is no like Abibaba, which means family. It's a different word. They, they use words like staff to talk about clans. They say we, you rather rally around a staff or things like that. So, I know he knows it doesn't work in every single language, so he's not just having a pun. But for his Greek audience, he's saying something to them about creation. That human social structures, just to use all my $5 college words in one sentence, human relationships gather themselves around fatherhood because of the father. That's what he's saying. I have lots of questions about that. Why, why, is, why is he bring that up now? What's he trying to say? This theology is coming out in the midst of a prayer. Paul has just spent three chapters talking about the awesome things that God has done in Jesus, starting off with the incomprehensible love that God has for us in Jesus, that he chose us, predestined us, selected us, redeemed us, cleansed us, and filled us with his spirit as a promise for us to have an inheritance in God's new created world. When Jesus comes back and renews all things, we will walk around and and be um, timeshare owners of everything we see, whether it's stars or suns or gold or plastic or planets or cities or animals or oceans or lakes everything will be belonging to us along with everybody else as well sorry property tax lawyers you're completely out of a job in the new heavens and the new earth followed by the chapter 2 is going into how great the grace of God is towards us that he didn't just kind of say you guys are awesome I would like you to be part of my family he says you guys were spiritually dead rebels 
who hated God from the heart, but God, being rich in mercy, reached out to us through Jesus, made us alive in Christ through the resurrection of the dead, and has made us his children, uniting us together, Jew and Gentile together, into one new people who are going to be the inheritors of God. And then in chapter 3, talking about how God has graciously commissioned apostles to bring this gospel to the world so that Gentiles can come into the kingdom by hearing the message and believing in faith and receiving grace and becoming the children of God. And once he's summarized every awesome thing God has done, he says, we need to pray and worship. So he says, I bow my knees to the Father from whom all fatherhood gets its name that we would be strengthened in our inner man so that we'd be able to comprehend with all the saints what are the height and the depth and the breadth and the width and to know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then here comes the praise part. Now to him who is able to do incomprehensibly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So he, this, is, this is the context. Everything God has done for us in Jesus We have to respond in prayer and praise. I hope God will give you grace to understand everything he's done because most human hearts hear this and go, too big. It's the spiritual big Ethel. Nobody gets through this thing in one sitting. You need supernatural grace to understand it. And by the way, let's spend some time praising the Lord. That's what's going on. But why... Why, why, why does he want his hearers to understand that Um, Everything is about fatherhood in one sense at this time. And I have some thoughts about that. One of my thoughts is this. This This is my big question. Why is it so important for us to know that God has knit into his creation fatherhood in such a way that all patria, all fatherhood, whether it's family fatherhood, city fatherhood, clan fatherhood, country fatherhood, gets its name from him, is derived from him, it comes from him. Why does he want us to know this? Um, Thought number one. When Paul calls calls God the Father, where the Father calls himself the Father, this is the clearest name of who God is that is available to us. When we say Father, this is the clearest, deepest name furthest advance into describing who God is that there is available to people. God has a lot of names. Have you ever noticed that in the scripture? He has lots of names. So there's God, Elohim, which is kind of like his day job. The boss, CEO, president. It's a description kind of what he he does. Sometimes he's called El Shaddai, God Most High. So out of all the gods, he's the biggest God. He's revealed himself through the name Yahweh, um, which is his covenant name with Israel. When he came to rescue Israel out of Egypt, he's saying, I'm going to make myself known to you through the name Yahweh, which means I am, and I'm going to take you into the desert, and we're going to have a covenant time together, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And this is his covenant name, I am. And it was a name so holy that in the intertestamental time, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jewish people decided we should never speak this name. And so they went into their scriptures and took out the vowels for the name Yahweh and put in the vowels for the word Adonai, which means Lord. And they would just read Adonai instead of Yahweh. They just wouldn't say the covenant name of God. It was too holy for them. They would say Lord instead of Yahweh, his covenant name. 
And he had many names in scriptures. And if you read through Genesis, he's been named many times. But in the name Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we penetrate into the revelation of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that three-person knowledge of God, it is the Father who is the primary person from whom comes the Son and the Spirit. You say, Rob, you've lost me. All I'm trying to say to you is there is no deeper revealing of who God is than as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is, when we get to heaven, he won't say, surprise, my name's Bill. This is the deepest, most precious revelation of who God is. He is the Father of Jesus Christ and through Jesus of us as well. And we will never know anything clearer about him. We will dive deeper into this truth for all of eternity, but we will never get behind his fatherhood to some other deeper truth. Oh, it turned out he's actually Allah or something like that. No, 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 no. This is the most deep, most reflective of who God really is name that he's given. And he's imaged himself in the world through people. Another reason I think Paul wants to say this is because there are two ways of looking at religion. Uh Uh-oh, I I did it again. Big word. Don't let me lose you. Okay, why why does he tell us that every family or all... All patria, all family gets its name from the Father. The second reason is this. There are two ways of seeing the universe. The first way, which is the common way for us nowadays, is to see the universe as completely changeable, completely malleable. Once upon a time there was nothing, then there was an explosion, and then there was goo, and then there was amoeba, and then there was fish, and then there was a monkey, and then there was Taylor Swift. And here we are today. And tomorrow, who knows what? Swifter tail. Or whatever it's going to be. Everything's changeable. Everything's in flux. And what has happened in the past, this story says, is that the people who were kind of the strongest and the most bullyish said, we're the most important people, and God must be like us, so he must be like a father, because the fathers are the ones who are making everybody else's lives miserable by always getting what they want. So God must be like us, because the fathers are in charge, and so we're going to project fatherhood into heaven and say, God's a father, and you all have to treat him like a father, because the fathers are in charge down here on earth, and because everything on earth is reflected in heaven, that's the way it's going to go. And that's paganism. That's why they would make idols out of bulls. They would take a bull and they say, heaven must be like a really awesome bull, a bull made out of gold. Let's make an idol out of him. Or they take a fish or they take a donkey or they take a goat or they take an elephant and give it extra arms or whatever it is. They take earth and project it into heaven. And Paul is saying when it comes to fatherhood, actually it's heaven to earth. Fatherhood started in heaven and is infused from heaven into earth. It starts in God, it comes down from there. That's what he, I think he's trying to say. He's, he's fighting paganism. He's fighting this idea that people are just making it up as we go, and then, like a hot air balloon, putting their best ideas and flying them up into the sky and saying, let's all worship our ideas up in the clouds. 
third reason why I think it's important to Paul as he's praying to God to say that all fatherhood comes from the Father is that spiritual realities are about fatherhood. What do I mean by that? First, I said to him, we don't know God any clearer than knowing him as the Father. Number two, it fights against the false belief that fatherhood is just a human invention, a social construct that we can change and shift and transform any way we want to. It actually comes from heaven down to earth and we have to receive it or we fight against how the created world works. And number three, because spiritual realities are about fatherhood. As I was working through this this questioning about talking about fatherhood, I was reading through Ephesians and I was seeing how even the forces of darkness and rebellion against God are talked about as spiritual fatherhood and childhood. Let's go to chapter 2 of Ephesians, where Paul is describing what it's like what the reality is of unbelievers and of the unsaved. He says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the who? In the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here's Paul on one hand saying, you've come to the Father and are children of God, and before that, you had a different Father and were sons of disobedience and children of wrath. And so one of the reasons why he's talking about fatherhood is because everything's about fatherhood. And spiritual realities are about fatherhood. Who's your dad? Is it the father of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it the prince of the power of the air, which is a title for Satan? And those are the two options. There isn't a secular option. The two options are The father of our Lord Jesus Christ is your father through faith and spiritual adoption, or the prince of the power of the air is your father, and you are a child of disobedience and a child of wrath, meaning you're destined for the wrath of God. And that's the truth. The universe is built around fatherhood. And you can either have the true Father, who is God, who is the God of rescue and grace and love and adoption, or you could have the pervert Father, who is Satan, who is the Father of lies, deception, and child abuse, both spiritual and physical. And Paul is compelling us to see the universe this way. We will either be children of the Father, or we will be children of the Prince of the Power of the Air, the great deceiver, the twister of all mankind. Thought number four. Reason number one. Everything's about the Father and we don't know God any clearer than seeing Him as the Father. Number two. The importance of fatherhood comes down from above and isn't just a human invention that we can take or leave. Number three, because spiritual realities are about fatherhood. And number four, because he wants people to understand 
that they need a dad. And they need to come to God the Father to fix the problems that come from spiritual fathering. Um, Because of the fall of man, everything is broken. This is one of the truths of scriptures. When you look out in the world, when you read the news, when you wake up in the, in the morning, you wake up into a broken, broken world where everything that can goes, go wrong does go wrong quite regularly and often at the worst time. It, it's messed up. And fatherhood is profoundly broken in this world. Um, I was m- meditating on uh, before I tell that, I want to tell a little story. Um, Ravi Zacharias is this great Christian apologist and thinker, and he was telling a story recently of a conversation he had with, an, I think it was an American, Olympic runner. And this guy came to him and said, since I was 12 years old, my passion has been to win an Olympic gold. And so I've been training, and I'm I'm good. And he's on the American Olympic team, and he's been studying the tapes of the world's fastest man. Slow motion, back and forth, studying the tapes, wanting to find out where this guy is losing half a second or a tenth of a second in his stride, in his takeoff, in his finish, so he can beat him. I'm going to perfect what the world's best is not perfected at, and I'm going to beat him at this race. This is the intensity of the commitment towards winning Olympic gold in his sport that he is bringing to his game. And he's saying, uh, uh, he was at the Olympics. So this conversation is happening right after the Olympics. He's at the Olympics. He's competing in his game. He's there to win the gold. And as he's talking to Ravi, he says to him, right before the gun went off, I had this thought. I wonder if my dad's watching. And he said, because I had that thought, I lost half a stride. And I came home with a bronze. And I need your help. Because I'm estranged estranged from my dad. Can you help me? Welcome to everybody's life. When it counts most... Our hearts go, I wonder if my dad cares. Where's my dad? Where's my dad? And many of us have experienced fatherhood loss. Okay, fatherhood comes to us through biological parents or spiritual dads or whatever it is. And I spent some time this week just thinking about uh, some things that didn't go maybe like I would have wanted them to. You know, my dad passed away last year. and So my, my dad was not trained growing up to emotionally connect with people. He was, he was gracious when I crashed his car. So, you know, I'm not complaining, but... He was not taught or shown the way to emotionally connect with people, and especially not sons. We never had the, so how's your life really going, son, moment. And when I became a Christian, and I don't think he ever did, um, the most important thing in my life was now a topic that could not be discussed, which is very common. 
So not how my marriage was going, not how my pastoring was going, not how my school was going, not how Sundays were going, not anything. We just couldn't talk about it. So there's another layer of stuff. There's also a few times growing up, um, you know, you, I think every, every kid wants to find out that their parents are the best thing ever, right? Especially dads, but, and especially moms. I think moms tend to do better in general. If I can say that, I think moms tend to like get closer to awesomeness than dads do uh, for a variety of reasons. I think that, I, I, but maybe nobody, some people, I've start, started a bunch of arguments, to, but whatever. It's my opinion, and I'm telling you it's just my opinion. I can't go to scripture for it, but I, I, I do think that in the West, moms do really well, just generally, compared to dads. I think there's a lot of reasons, and we can talk about that. Maybe that'll be a midweek. But um, I remember there was this one time where my dad was emptying a dishwasher or putting the dishwasher in. So already, that's a good job, Dad. Uh, but he, one of the dishes slipped, and we had um, an all-tile kitchen, and so the dish did not survive the slipping. And something else slipped out of my dad's mouth, which was a word that I, you definitely can't repeat in these contexts. And I was just like what? My dad doesn't say that. And it was this moment of, you're not, you're, you're not PG. You know, you're, <laughs> you just, you're not like that dad from Full House or whatever it is. You know, it, there was this moment of my conception coming down a notch, which was like, ah! and uh, I also, I'm not sharing anything for, for complaining at all. I'm just, I'm just wanting to, um, be in reality with you. There were a few times in my life where my dad would tease my mom in ways that I think went over the line to, into dishonoring. And, and I'm only sharing that because no, no son ever wants to see his mom dishonored. Ever. Just ever. And then my dad passed away early. Um, so I'm just sharing these things because everybody has feelings of fatherhood loss. Areas where you just wished things had been different or wished they could be different. And for me, finding out there was a day when it would never get any better because he was dead. And it would just never, any desire I had for, for something better would never happen um, in this life. So fatherhood loss. And fatherhood loss leads to father hunger. Okay, We have Areas of fathering where we wish things were different and you can't ignore that. You can't just say, well, I'm going to become the best runner ever and I don't care if my dad is watching or not. At the moment when you need to be focused most, your father hunger will rise up and say, where's my dad? I wish things were different. I wish he taught me different. I wish he showed me how to change the oil in the car or I wish he taught me about finances or I wish he could just have said to me, great job, I'm proud of you, and I'm really rooting for you. And it wasn't there, and we can't ignore it, and you end up with father hunger. A, an inescap- inescapable need. And we try to fill it in all kinds of crazy ways. Whether it's the praise of men, um, sexual experiences outside of God's will, accomplishments, cash, um, I remember one of the most impacting parts for me of the Conquer series that we've been running at the church is the testimony of the guy who's running it. 
who said that uh, he never met his dad. I think he was conceived on a one-night stand or something like that. So he never met his dad, and his mom had seven different husbands apart from the dad, and most of them were abusive to him growing up. And he said that the, the result of that was that he grew up wanting to hurt and kill men. And so he went into the military, and his desire was to feel like a man by killing men legally for the army. And the root there was a father hunger. I want somebody who is a respectable man to look at me and say, you are a man. I think about uh, this one song by this Christian rapper named Lecrae. If you've never heard of him before, your life is just a little bit worse off because of this. He's actually really cool. And um, he's got this song called I Want to Be Like You, and it's all about his father hunger. Growing up not knowing his dad, had all these surrogate dads who were like uncles, many of them only a couple years older than him, but all of them in the thug life. And he said, it was so important to me to have somebody say, you're doing a good job, that I w- I'm, I'm happy to hear you say you're good at something, even if it's at being bad. It's father hunger. And there are tens of thousands, if not of hundreds of thousands, of fatherless young men in the world. And that's part of the homework, is just working through with the Lord in prayer, where do I have father hunger? Where do I feel like something was missing and it's become a root drive in me to try to feed this desire? And I've never brought it to you, God. Because that he is the only true source, an eternal source for our father hunger. This desire to have somebody respectable, powerful, who loves us, look at us and say, I like you. And I love you. Douglas Wilson said once, if everybody could just go home and get hugged by a father, just like God the Father, all of the wars in the world would be done tomorrow. Just go home. Go home to God the Father and let him tell you he's proud of you. You don't need this stuff. So what is fatherhood like? That's a big question. What is God's fatherhood like? It's probably the most important question ever. And I'm going to start where you're probably not expecting it. Maybe you are. I'm going to start. The beginning of the Gospels. Mark chapter 1. Jesus being baptized. Appearing out of nowhere to accomplish his ministry. To ransom children for God. He goes into the waters of baptism. Starting in verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And this spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased and in this moment we have in the uniquely in human history we have this we find out what it's like for the trinity to relate 
we have the Son, and we have the Spirit coming down from the Father onto the Son, this connection, presence. And we have the Father speaking, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. And that picture is what God is like. And those words are what the Father is like. There's no sin present in their relationship. There's no walls in their relationship. There's nothing gone wrong in their relationship. Forever, the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit has been, the Son here, I'm ready to do your will, the Spirit moving as presence and love between them, and the Father saying to the Son, I love you, and I'm pleased in you. That's what fatherhood is. I love you, and I am pleased with you. Or, I like you and I love you. There's lots of people who will, are willing to admit that God loves them, but can't begin to admit that he might like them. Amen? But this is fatherhood. This is heaven. What's heaven going to be like? Forget the golf course surrounding the hockey arena. You won't need it because you'll have no one to impress. Heaven is hearing without any shame, without any guilt, without any fear. The Father say to you, you're my beloved child. I'm so pleased with you. There is no clearer picture of true fatherhood or God's fatherhood than this moment. And if I could just take the Holy Spirit's impact wrench of power and drill that into my soul and all of our souls, I would. But only God can do that. But I will present the truth to you again and again. Just in case you were wondering what God is like, when we come to him through Jesus Christ in faith, he is like, I love you and I am pleased with you. And because his fatherhood is as deep into God as you can go, there is nothing behind these words. There is no but. There is no qualification. This is who he is. This is who we are. Oh, I'm getting stuck on this point. And fatherhood looks like honor and authority for other people's good. I was at the airport. I can't remember why. Probably picking up my mom or brother or something the other day. And there was this family there. Excuse me. And they were definitely from somewhere east of Europe. I have no idea where. I couldn't kind of peg the facial features and stuff like that. But, and they, they looked very Western. Every, you know, the cell phones were out and the backwards baseball caps and whatever. But they were doing something that I hadn't seen before. There was this older, tottering gentleman who was definitely had cleared 70 years old at some time. And when they were getting, as they were gathering together, everybody was coming up to this old guy and bowing before him and kind of kissing his hand. And then they would go back to their cell phones. You know, like, that's next week's message. 
actually true. True story. I shouldn't have warned you. I'll take that one on the website, Rob. Thank you. And I thought to myself, they have something going on there that helps, will help them know God better than us. This habit, this culture of, of coming to Grandpa, the patriarch of their family, and just giving him honor. They have something there that, that we're missing. And, uh, and I think it's true. When Paul tells us that every family in heaven and earth gets its name from the Father, what's he doing? He says he bows his knees. Before he confesses that fatherhood has come down from heaven and fills the entire world, he says, I'm bowing the knee. It's a picture of honor coming under authority. And let me just say this. If we struggle with believing in God's fatherhood, you struggling with receiving it. How are your knees doing? How are your knees doing? It's very hard to receive the fatherhood of God when we're feeling proud in his presence. It's very hard to receive the fatherhood of God on our own terms, on our own times, according to what we want to happen. It, in fact, is impossible. Because his fatherhood is about his authority and his honor. And it comes to us for our good. But you can't take it away. Fatherhood is like having the best model ever. Fatherhood is about modeling things. In Ephesians chapter 5.1, does anybody know that one? Named Dave Kaler, off by heart. Ephesians 5.1, so the same book about everything being about fatherhood, he says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Are you a beloved child? Yeah. So how do you live the rest of your life? Just trying to be like that. Do you want to know what the entire Christian life can be summarized as? Whether it's forgiveness, gentleness, being patient with people, modeling Christ to your wife in marriage, modeling God to your children in parenting, modeling Christ to your employer in your workplace, modeling Christ to your brothers and sisters at church. Do you want to know what can summarize that entire call to Christian life? Like a kid who's really, really loved, be like that. Because he's the best model. Yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. I've got some more stuff. That'll be Tuesday on the midweeks. I, I share this message with you because I'm convinced that our world does not like fatherhood. I was told in the news the other day that Ontario just passed a revised Child Welfare Act, whatever that might be called over there. So their law for how children should be cared for and protected. And part of their process was to remove the law that had required the government to honor the family's religion when, with respect to the child and to remove most, if not all, the references to the child's family when it comes to the welfare of the child. 
So now, for Ontario, it's just the government gets to, to decide what's good for the kids, and if the biologicals, I don't even know what you would call these, they're obviously not being treated like parents, don't measure up, then the government steps in. And legally, what's going on there is the government's asserted itself as the true parent of the child. And all the Ontarioites are just kind of doing them a favor until, as long as they're keeping their, their act together. Um, it's, we, we don't know what to do with dads. We don't know what to do with fatherhood. And we're in this really weird place where at the one time we just wished it would go away. And at the same time, we just wish it would be there for us. And I'm here to tell you that what you've always wanted is God's fatherhood. As it's described in scripture, as it's presented through Jesus Christ, and as it's freely given by faith. While we pray. Father, I just thank you so much that part of the bestness of you being the best father is that uh, you're so patient with us. And you're determined to love us. I'm so grateful that as the Apostle Paul knelt before you in his letter and proclaimed that all fatherhood comes from you, he pleaded with you your own desire that we as your people would have power from you to know how much you love us in Jesus. Because that's the point. So, Father, I pray that for each person here, you would fulfill your desire, that we would turn to you and know you and experience your love and have our Father hunger satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen.